0: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray that you take our minds today and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. In God's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So by now, you guys have heard me say this before, sometimes in the lectionary, We come across passages we'd rather not think about. (laughs) And we come across passages that I'd rather not preach about, to be quite honest. (laughs) But thank God for all of his word, because all of his word is precious. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Today's passage is a cautionary tale, but it's not just a cautionary tale, thank God. Jesus is still teaching the crowds in the temple. We are returning to that scene where he was last time. You'll remember where he had just thrown out the money changers. And then he came back the next day and he gets confronted by the high priests. And they have a conversation. He shares with them some parables about the vineyard. And today is not a continuation of the parables of the vineyard. But it is his continuation of him speaking to the crowds who are gathered for Passover. This is the highest day in Israel's year. This is it. This is the moment where we come together, every man, woman, and child, to remember what God has done for us as the salvation of his people. And so these are the people Jesus is talking to. And he starts giving them this parable that we're going to see today as a way to understand their own history and a way to understand the special moment of in time that they occupied in God's redemptive history. And then he also gives it to us today as a way to recall our own history of the church and the way that things will be until his second coming. Okay, this, Remember, we're still in heaven and earth. He's still teaching us what it means to be human here on this place called earth and what's happening in that place in the beyond where he lives and reigns called the kingdom of heaven. Now, when the early church fathers deal with this passage, there's a massive amount of interpretation and a massive amount of looking at this as an allegory. And so I feel really guilty anytime that I say that I disagree with the early church fathers. So I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm just not going to say that. We, we have to understand the church has interpreted this somewhat allegorically, somewhat symbolically. So we're going to do that. But as we read, I do want you to focus that this is the central moment of history i mean that now that's a big statement but i mean it all history up until the time of this reading was pointing to this week to this time where jesus would process into the kingdom of israel into the capital city of jerusalem would lay down his own life for his people would begin the church and give us the institutions that we celebrate today in the Eucharist, and then would be resurrected three days later. All time had been pointing to this week. And from then on, we would continually look back to that moment. So I want you to imagine um, this right here, this candelabra, where no matter where you are, whether you are before Christ came or after, everything leads up to that central moment in time where Jesus came, where Jesus became one with humanity, where he took on flesh, where he endured a human life, where he took on and defeated death and made a way for humanity to be united with the Father. Have you ever noticed, that, I'm full of these side notes today, so I'm sorry, but it's just going to happen. Have you ever noticed that in the human heart, we seek unity, Why is it that John Lennon would sing, oh, that the world would be as one? The world desires unity, and we're just so lost in trying to find it. This is the wedding ceremony that Jesus speaks of today, this cosmic unification of whoever believes and walks with him as his people. So let's get into it, Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Please open your Bibles or flip on your phones or whatever you got to do. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Adam, Adam, where are you? Why have you hidden from me? Have you eaten of this fruit that I warned you about? Why won't you come? And again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, Don't you see? I've prepared this feast. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. The work is done. Come in and enjoy and be at peace and be at rest with me. Come to the wedding feast. Now, in Jewish culture at that time, there was no such thing as catering. Okay, so if you were going to have a wedding, you didn't call the caterer and say, okay, now I want everything ready at 3 o'clock because the wedding ceremony is at 2.45 and I want everything on time. Okay, you didn't have call the cake person. And I'm going to talk more about weddings, but that's okay. I'm not getting there yet. So just know that at this time in history and in this culture, you didn't have a set time. You had a set day. And so you got to remember, people lived in little villages. There weren't these gigantic cities, right? And so you would send out your messengers and send, you know how we have the book the day, reserve the date cards, right? It's kind of like that, except you didn't have a time on it. So people were waiting to get word to come to the wedding feast. And who knows? It could be at 10.00. It could be at noon. It could be at 3 o'clock. We don't know. It all depends on when the food's ready. It <laughs> depends on how long it took me to go catch the, co- the cow and how long it took me to catch the goat and bring it back in and slaughter them and clean them and all that sort of thing, right? Preparation of the feasts took a long time. And remember, you didn't have people traveling long distances to attend a wedding. It was all the people who lived around you. Right? So you could easily have your servant go to all, knock on the door and say, Hey, guess what? We're ready. Come on over. <laughs> now before we go any further, I want all the guys in the room to think honestly and tell me if you're comfortable with it being a wedding. <laughs> Now all the girls are like, what do you mean? Is that t- <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? Now all the guys have a little bit of a smile on their face and a little bit of a twinkle in their eye because if you know anything about the way that weddings go in America, the wedding is not about the guy. <laughs> if anything, we are more of a glorified, in the best case scenario, we are a glorified accessory to the wedding. <laughs> We're, we're like a really nice hair bow. <laughs> All right. uh, ladies never ask me that question. Why a wedding? You know, For them, it's the single most memorable moment of their lives. They're never going to forget that moment. They're definitely not going to forget how much work it took to put it on and get it going and how exhausted they were at the end of it. So women, when, we, when they see the wedding, they're like, we got you. That makes total sense to us. We're good. We're, we're ready to go. Can I tell you, most guys really enjoy their weddings. I, I'm, on, I'm being honest. Most guys thoroughly enjoy their weddings as soon as they learn to let go. <laughs> to stop trying to get involved and recognize your job is to show up on time. You have one job, <laughs> and that's it. You know what's that? Don't forget the rings. Don't forget the rings. That's the best man's job. We don't we we pan that off. Because women don't trust us with even that. They're like, just show up on time. (coughs) And guys really enjoy their weddings not because we're lazy, but because it allows us to focus on that moment where we look into the eyes of the woman that we're going to spend the rest of our lives with. That's it for us. And I watch so many videos where the guy is just, oh, he's just looking at her. And I can use my wife because she's sitting right there. And I can give her that look. She's just like, I love you. <laughs> and the woman, you know, sometimes I watch these videos and the guy's like, oh, I love you. And the woman's like. All right, now where's the flower girl? And is everybody standing in the right place? And how's it gonna look for the pictures? And are the flowers right? And let me adjust this and that. And they want to, and you see them gripping, like whatever they're holding in their hands, and they're like, eh, I can't adjust the bouquet. Like, I have to stay here. <laughs> and I don't mean to make that sound bad, but it's because guys have it really easy at weddings. Do you know what I did at my wedding? I smiled, but even before the wedding. Like, we worked on a car, we changed my oil, I took a shower, I got dressed. showed up 20 minutes early, 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 I did great, I was great at my wedding, I stayed out of the way, my job was to smile and, and be there at the right time and say I do. And for guys, our main focus at weddings is to stop being nervous. That's what we got. Women don't get that nervous because they got so much going on. They're not nervous. They're anxiety-ridden, right? Yeah. Guys, we just have to avoid being nervous, so we find ways to occupy our time. Guess what I did at my brother's wedding? I was the best man at my brother's wedding. I took him to a Bills game. <laughs> Jesse, when I started working on my car, and when we went to the Bills game, she was on, like, hour number seven of preparation, just in, like, hair... And like, her hair would, would have been like in a modern art sculpture. Like, it was perfect. It was perfect. The makeup, they have, this is the only time in a woman's life, well, maybe not the only time, but most people have a makeup artist or a friend whose assignment is do my makeup. And I'll tell you, it puts Hollywood to shame, the job that they do. It's beautiful. Like, the makeup is perfect. Why? Because this is their moment. Am I right or am I wrong? Okay. (laughs) For guys, we try and distract ourselves so that we don't get nervous and try and fix the day and help. You're not helping. (laughs) And so that we don't get nervous and leave and run away. (laughs) We just keep ourselves occupied and show up. The biggest job for a guy is don't screw it up. (laughs) It's both of your days, but it's really her day. Now, in Jewish culture, it wasn't like that. It wasn't her day, and it wasn't his day. It was everyone's day. Okay? In Jewish culture, it was a time for the family and for the community to celebrate the renewal of the bonds that keep us together. Those family ties, that sense of community involvement with each other in each other's lives. When Jesus is talking to the people and he says, there's a wedding... Everybody knows it's not just about the bride. And sometimes in America, we start to think that it's all about the church. Because we are the bride. It's all about the bride. Because we don't understand how Jesus looked at weddings. When Jesus looked at weddings, he said, it's all about the family. It's all about the father. It's all about giving honor to the family. Because in doing so, we give honor to the community. And you take part in it. Because you love the people of God, okay? So when you were invited to a wedding, you showed up. You celebrated, you ate, and you drank, and you enjoyed the company, and you did your part to strengthen the bonds of the community by giving honor to the family, especially to the Father. So imagine the shock that people would have had listening to Jesus when the messengers of this magnificent feast started going around telling people to come together, verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. (laughs) And how many times do we miss the important things in life because we're busy at the farm or busy at our business? Some fathers, when they heard the gospel, they heard the gospel some people, some of humanity, heard the gospel being preached by the prophets of old. They heard it being preached by Jesus. They heard it being preached by the apostles. And their response was to be indifferent. Indifferent. They said, eh, you know, who really cares about the king? Let him just do his own thing, and I'll do my thing. I don't really need him anyways, and as long as he leaves me alone, we'll be fine. Don't try and put that on me. Don't put that gospel message, don't put it on me. You stay over there and I'll stay over here. And I don't want you to lose how shocking this would have been to ignore a royal wedding invitation. Because people today, they say, you know, I'll work my job, I'll sleep in if I want to, I'll go golfing, I'll go fishing, and I'm still fine with God because I'll do my thing and he'll do his thing. And Nowadays, if you're busy, or you're tired, or it's not the right weekend, with a wedding, you just send back the little card, and you check the, no, I'm sorry, I can't attend. I'm going to send you a nice gift. And you know what happens? I'll be honest. like, peek back behind the curtain, unless it's somebody super, super involved in that person's life, usually the couple is relieved. They're like, sweet, we get our present, we cancel one place setting, and we're good. How sad is that? Why did you invite someone in the first place if you're not sad when they don't come? Okay? And it's the same way for God the Father. And for the crowds listening, what they were hearing was unthinkable. How can you abandon your community? How can you abandon your new family members? How can you abandon strengthening the bonds of the community that tie us together? How could you, is what they were thinking. That was their response. And Jesus is saying to the crowds then and to our world today that some of you are ignoring my call. This morning, on my way into church, um, Jesse abandoned me um, and left me with the kids. I'm just kidding. That's, that's a joke. Didn't sound funny, but it was a joke. <laughs> so I have the kids with me, and I've got a Bluetooth thing that hooks up to my phone, and so I play YouTube videos. We <laughs> like, play music. And I'm always getting these requests popping in my ear. You know, Dad, what up here. Dad, you me. And the little one, Got there first. She said, Beauty of the beast, beauty and the be beast, Dow, Beauty and the Beast, Beauty of the Beast, Beauty of the Beast. And so I started playing it, but I made the mistake that I didn't respond to her. I didn't tell her that I was playing it. So, We're like a minute and the thirty seconds into the song, and she's still going, Beauty of the beast, beauty the beast, beauty of the beast, beauty of the beast, beauty of the beast. She just won't stop, and I'm laughing now, thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh! First of all, how amazingly strong is this strong-willed child that's going to take over the world? That's great." Dear God, help me! <laughs> right? Anyone who knows my Evie knows that's true, right? She does her thing, okay. But I looked in the rearview mirror to see if anyone in, if anyone else was in on the joke. So I looked at William, and I looked at Ellie, and I'm like, do you guys see what's going on here? And they didn't see it. <laughs> they didn't see what was so funny. So I hit pause, and everybody stopped. And they looked at me. What did you do that for? Like, I'm like, guys, do you see? Sometimes when you're so busy focusing on what you want, you're not listening enough to realize you already have it. that was good, so I'm going to say it again. Sometimes when you're so busy focusing on what it is that you want, you're not listening enough to realize you already have it. Am I right? And sometimes that's what, God is saying, that's what Jesus is saying to us today, that we're so busy asking and asking and asking for God to bless us and for God to give us the desires of our heart, that we don't listen to him enough to realize he's already given it to us. God, give us a healthy community here in this church. Give us wonderful people who are committed to the vision and to the dedication, and we're so busy asking and asking and asking, we don't realize it's here. He gave it to us. Be thankful that we have this wonderful community that we can celebrate and worship our God in where there's not infighting, where there's not gossiping, where there's not backbiting, where there's not struggles between right and wrong, where there's no threat of a split. Like, praise God for giving us this community, and I praise God for you. I do. That's the antidote to, I'm going to do my own thing. And at that time, if people had heard, I'm going to do my own thing, then what came next was so much worse. Like, that was bad enough. But then verse 6, the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Killed them. I know, some people are like saying, this is so ridiculous. This couldn't possibly have ever happened. Who would have possibly done this? But don't you realize that some simply ignore the gospel and the work that God is doing, and then some decide they're going to attack it. Some decide they're going to attack the church, attack God, You know, I've never seen such extreme, virulent hatred today more accepted and treated as normal as the hate speech that is spoken against God's church. I don't hear it anymore. Some of the things that people say about pastors and bishops and churches is absolutely sickening. And if anyone dared to say that about women or dared to say that about minority groups, or dared to say that about another religion, there would be uproar. There would be riots. There would be ousting of people out of office. There would be massive, massive conflict. But the church seems to be fair game. They're like, oh yeah, well, whatever. I watched a video this morning. Pastor goes into, or he's not even a pastor. He's a teacher who went into a university and got a whole group of people shouting at him, saying, we hate you, we want you gone. We hate you, we want you gone. We hate you, we want you gone. And everybody was just like, oh, this is kind of weird, but whatever. Where's the uproar? Where's the headline saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe the hate speech being spoken against this person. Just this week, a CEC priest sent me a picture of what someone had done to his church. Now on the outside they have a little sign that has bienvenidos to our community, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> and then underneath it says welcome to our community in English. And then underneath it has welcome to our community, we love you, we accept you in Arabic. They took the sign, they crumpled it up, and they spray painted on the side of the church, stop worshiping devils. Where's the headlines? Where's the hate speech? That happened to a mosque in Texas, and every person in America heard about it. Where is it for the church? Don't you see, we, we snicker and say, well, who would ever really kill the messenger sharing this for the feast? This is what it means. This is what it meant for the people of Israel when the prophets came and said, here's the gospel, here's what God wants you to know, and they killed them. We saw that last week, so I won't go into the details again. But we saw that's what happened. That's what has happened, that's what is happening, and that's what will continue to happen. Okay? Don't be shocked. Be sickened, but don't be shocked. And in Jesus' parable, he's talking forward to all the people full of hatred who would want to kill him in that moment. As he's speaking, as he's teaching, there are people having that thought, Man, I really want to kill you right now. How can we figure out how to kill you? And all over the world more and more today Christian priests and pastors are being targeted and killed. Just this past week, priest in Egypt. Do you want the details or not? I'm going to give them to you anyway. Hit in the head with a cleaver. Family, wife, kids. Where's the uproar? We're not shocked by this anymore. If anything, we just kind of say, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's just the way it is. The tolerance and the we need to be fair and we need to be sensitive and we need to be tolerant of every religion doesn't apply to Christianity, so shut up. So shut up and sit down and get out of our way. Okay, I'm going to calm down. (laughs) I'm going to keep going. All right, verse 7. And so the king whose messengers never returned, and he found out what happened, he was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found both bad and good. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. This when you start off is like ooh but by the end of it that's the point is you're supposed to see God's purposes will not be contained. There is no enemy that can stand in the way of what God wants to do in this place, in this world, the war has already been won, the kingdom is established, and no power of hell or no gate of hell or darkness will stand in the way. It is won. That's the point. Jesus, speaking to the crowds of the people, gives them their own history back to them and tells them, in this specific moment in my redemption of your world, my redemption of my creation, you have a choice today. Every single person in that place, the high priests, the Pharisees, every Jewish person that was there listening to him in the temple had a choice that day. Will you choose to believe or will you put me to death? That was the choice. And we have the same choice. And every human being has the same choice. Will you be a part of what God is doing or will you reject Him? That's the essential question, isn't it? And I don't know how to tell the difference. And that's not my job to tell the difference of who has rejected and who has accepted. Not my job. I heard a priest one time say, You know, I'm not in management or admissions, I'm in sales. So when Jesus came to the temple, that place where the people were most deserved to be invited into the fulfilling, some were going to reject him. And out of God's great love for humanity, he refused to stay rejected. And so even if the leaders of Israel rejected God, that didn't matter because God was still going to find a way to save the whole world. The rejection of the invitation does not negate the invitation. Okay? We can't blame God for us rejecting him. And he was telling these people, get ready because you're going to see people you've never seen before invited into the kingdom. You're going to see Gentiles invited. You're going to see foreigners invited. These people who you would never have thought would be invited. Now they're going to be invited. And really, they were always invited, but you stopped spreading the invitation. And do you notice how the first thing that he tells the next group of people, the people who came to him and told him what happened, he said go out into the byways of the streets where absolutely anybody would be walking by because you have been invited, give the invitation forward. Pass the invitation on. So let me ask you, have you been invited into the kingdom of heaven? Have you? Have you accepted the invitation? Okay, your job now is to pass the invitation on. To go into the highways and the byways and to find any that may Come in. Now one of the things that I get frustrated with in the church today is we go through targeting. Where we try and figure out well what's gonna be our audience and what demographic are we going to associate with and uh, you know it's always, the thing about it is it's always the same people. It's middle class to upper class families with kids and rich people. They, uh, who wants the poor? Who wants the mentally ill? Who wants the minority classes? Who wants The people who are in desperate need. Who wants the sick and the ill? We do. The Christian church wants everybody. Because Christ said, to any that may walk by, give them their invitation. The problem for us is recognizing who's walking by. That's our goal. That's what I need to get better at. That's what we as the American Christian Church and the church worldwide needs to constantly not be satisfied with who we have invited because there's always going to be someone next. There's always someone that God wants us to invite. Atheists? Yeah, invite the atheists. People of other religions? Yeah, invite people of other religions. It's okay. People we wouldn't normally hang out with because they're too poor or they're too rich? Yes, invite them, because with Christ Jesus, there is none too poor, nor rich, nor broken, nor ashamed, nor lost to be saved, because all are welcome in the kingdom of God. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he now, you're going to have a strong reaction to this. I want to say that right now, because it's going to sound weird. I'm going to tell you, watch for the weirdness. There's weirdness in here. Watch for it. He saw there a man in the guests who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, "Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment?" And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, "Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are jo- are chosen. And if you're anything like me, reading that, you're like, God, that seems a little harsh. Like." <laughs> it did. I said Like, Jesus, are you sure you really want to say that? Does that fit with our theology, Jesus? (laughs) Don't you love it when you ask Jesus about his own theology? Like, (laughs) God, that doesn't really fit what we think you are. Like, it sounds a little judgmental. And it's uncomfortable. Let me tell you, if you're uncomfortable hearing that, that's good. You're supposed to be uncomfortable by that. Jesus is saying it to people. He knew the crowds and the masses were going to be uncomfortable with that. You're gonna say, really? That's really harsh, like out into the pits of hell just for that? Just for not having on the right clothing? Now let me tell you, it's not just for not having on the right clothing, okay? So let's get past that. In that time, everyone, and I do mean everyone, had access to wedding garments. Whether they were yours, whether they were your family members, whether they belonged to the people throwing on the feast, everyone had access to the wedding garments and part of your participation was in making sure that you show honor and glory and respect to the people who were throwing the feast okay so the real problem is not that this person doesn't have the right clothes on it's that he's only halfway accepted God's invitation see that He's only halfway accepted God's invitation. He says, oh yeah, I'll accept the invitation for all the good things. I'll accept the invitation for the free food, for the drinks, for the dancing, for the fun. I'll accept it for all that stuff. But don't ask me to get on board with changing something about myself. I'm going to put that right here. I'm going to let you think about that. Do one of these. I'm in it for all the good things, but don't ask me to change. Now, I want you to imagine that the Bills have just made it into the playoffs. We haven't won a playoff game, but we've made it into the playoffs. And now there's a Bills rally downtown where all the Bills fans are going to celebrate that we finally made it back into the playoffs. <clears throat> will people show up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there will absolutely be people there. How, what would happen if somebody showed up wearing a Tom Brady jersey? I'm sorry <laughs> to the Patriots fans in the room, but what would happen if they showed up wearing a Tom Brady jersey? They <laughs> they do, do some really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would they be accepted as a Bills fan in that place? I'm sorry, but if you wear a Tom Brady jersey, you're just not a Bills fan. That's just the way it is. You have not really made the decision to be a Bills fan. That's okay. You can have them as your second team. You can be like second fan, like a lower class of fan, but you're not really in the club. You're not Bills Mafia. I'm sorry, but you're just not. (laughs) Raise your hand if you agree with me. Am I the only one? Okay, okay, okay. All right. So Jesus is showing us that to be in his kingdom, he's not seeking those that are just going to play the part and join in during the fun times and show up every now and then when it's convenient and show up when it's fun and when there's something going on that they really like. He's saying, I'm seeking those people whose desire is to experience the kingdom in a fuller way. Those people who are willing to let me strip off the things that are holding you back and to step into a deeper purpose. Now listen to me. God has a deeper purpose for you. He has a deeper element of the kingdom that he wants to show you today, and there's something holding you back. This is not sorrow, this is joy. You see this? There's something holding you back. He's given you the invitation. He says, let me just take this out of your way. Let me give you a gown of glory. Let me move you deeper into my kingdom of hope. Into this glorious, radiant light. Stop holding on to the darkness. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, he was talking about the wedding garments. Because that's what it's really all about, isn't it? It's how can we put on the wedding garment that we haven't put on yet? That's our call today. So first of all, to be able to put on the wedding garment, we need to know what the wedding garment is. And the Apostle Paul talked about this wedding garment when he said, The purpose of our command is to arouse the love that springs from a pure heart, from a clear conscience and a genuine faith now watch this it's not just a love of any kind I had someone tell me the other day you know, we can do pretty much anything that we want as long as it comes from love and I said well what kind of love and he didn't know what I was talking about (laughs) I said there's many different kinds of love and in fact in Greek in the Bible you'll find different Greek words where they talk about different kinds of love and Paul is saying it's God's love It's the love of a Christian. It's not erotic love. It's not obsessive love. It's not affectionate love. It's not familiar love, like love for your family. It's not playful love. It's not self-love. It's God's love. It's the kind of love of a Christian that springs from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a genuine faith. It's selfless, self-sacrificing love for others. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. This is the love that he gave to us. Paul again said it like this. He said, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, says the apostles, but I have not love, I am nothing but a booming gong or a clanging cymbal. Even if I have the gift of prophecy, if I have all knowledge, if the Holy Spirit is moving my mind into deeper places in the kingdom, and I understand all mysteries, and if I have faith enough to move the mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Nothing. Okay, but what do you mean, Father? What do you mean? I mean, it's fine to say that, but tell me what it looks like. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us think that we're being loving to everybody else. I definitely think that way. But can I tell you how many times God comes up and whacks me in the back of my head just like my mother would? That's what it feels like. It's like, whack. God, oh, I got it. All right, thank you. Don't pull my hair. Like, <laughs> just this past week. I feel like I'm being a very loving person. I've got this one person. I'm not going to say where, because, you know, whatever. But there's this one person who is just, oh, just unlovable. Like, really? I mean, she's nasty. She's rude. She's mean. She doesn't have a nice thing to say about anybody. She's just... (laughs) Miserable and her name Christine. No, no. I'm just kidding. It's not actually, it's somebody else. And you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, alright, I'm being loving because I'm not ripping her head off. Like I'm not tearing her a new one. I'm not like going up flying off the handle, doing all the things I really want to do. That's loving enough. That's selfless love. And God was like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's not good enough, Josh. It's not good enough. You got to do better. I'm like, oh, but come on. Come on. That's the most I got right now. He's like, I know, but I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more so you can do better. God, you're telling me that all, I should show love for the people who basically make people feel like they don't even belong in the same room as you? people who are snippy and give me attitude, you mean I should show selfless love to them? Yeah. (laughs) God, you're telling me that the people who've done horrible things, horrible things to me, the people who are just unlovable, not only are they unlovable, they're unlikable. (laughs) I just really don't like them, and it's hard to love them. What about them, even them? They don't deserve my love, to be quite honest. They don't deserve my love. They don't. They don't deserve my love. Honestly, I'd say that completely true. They don't deserve my love. But who of us and who in all times have ever deserved God's love? How can I not extend that love to the unlovable coworker, to the unlovable person who betrayed me, when God has sacrificed himself for me, an unworthy sinner? We don't give our love because people deserve it or because it's easy. We give our love because he gave it to us when we did not deserve it. And you're still asking, well, what does that look like? So I'm going to give you three first steps that God has revealed to me in this past week. You can't love somebody unless you're praying for them. Now, maybe that's not for you, that's just for me, but that hurts. (laughs) Because when there's that unlovable person who's constantly giving the attitude, the last thing I want to do is pray for them. I want to pray something against them, but I don't want to pray for them. You guys know what I mean? Second thing you can do, you look for opportunities to serve them. Simple things. Any opportunity you get, can you hold the door for them while they're struggling with something in their hands? Can you offer to carry something for them when they're walking down the hallway? Little things. How can you serve them? Last thing, how can you help them when they're really in need? Give them a kind word when they seem to need it. Nothing major. You're not their best friend. You don't have to be their best friend. That's not the goal. How do we love the unlovable? We pray for them, we serve them, and we help them in times of need. This selfless love is the wedding garment that we put on, that his love that he gave to us in response to his invitation, we put on this selfless love because he put it on for us. We give our resources, we give our time, we give our affection, we give our intimacy, our vulnerability, we give our honesty and our respect to them because Jesus gave every bit of himself to us when we least deserved it. He was consumed with selfless love. Pray with me. Father, help us today to be so filled with your love for humanity that we'll be willing to love the unlovable, that we'll work through our hands, that we'll let our words be yours, and that the world may be drawn to you more and more. And let us see it in this time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Please stand for prayer. In the course of the silence,